This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 371. many people wish that their dream is going to come true and they think, boy, if that moment ever presents itself, I'm going to go all out. But you can't wish or you can't wait. When we read about a successful person, their accomplishments are often painted as a one in a billion anomaly, a lightning strike of genius or opportunity. The reality, though, is your professional success is within your control. Hi, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. I'm Jeff Brown, and I believe that if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, then guess what? Intentional and consistent reading is a must. To help you along with that, we're joined each week by another author to chat about their latest book and their insights on things like personal and professional growth, leadership, productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and more. Today, we are being joined by returning guest Jim Roddy as we dive into his new book, The Walk-On Method, 31 Underdogs Who Became Extraordinary. I'll ask Jim to share about the genesis of his walk-on framework, each of the five steps of the framework, ways he's going beyond the book to teach his framework, and much, much more. Hey, if you're not currently on my email list, I think I've got a compelling reason for you to fix that today. When you sign up right now, you get a copy of a new ebook I just finished called Dream Big Five Personal Habits That Will Supercharge Your Success. These are the things I've learned from interviewing now 371 authors for the podcast. I have found that these five personal habits are habits that nearly all of them have in common. You can get this ebook absolutely free when you join my email list. To do that, just go to my website, Read to Lead Podcast. Dot com and you'll see the form in the upper right-hand side of the page. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com. Jim Roddy makes a return visit to the podcast, his first coming almost six years ago. Uh, since 1999, he's educated business leaders and future leaders through national magazine articles, uh, online columns, webinars, podcasts, video interviews, and presentations at national conferences, in short, everywhere. Uh, he's a popular keynote speaker and moderator and is regularly requested to moderate keynote panel discussions featuring executives from companies like Blue Star, ScanSource, HP, NCR, and IBM. Jim has also been recognized as one of the world's top 100 retail influencers by Rethink Retail. His brand new book is called The Walk-On Method, 31 Underdogs Who Became Extraordinary. Jim, it is a delight to welcome you back to the Read to Lead podcast. Jeff, it's great to talk with you again. And I, I would say it's great to hear your voice, but I'm not just a guest. I'm a listener. So I guess it's nice for me to talk and then hear you say something back to me uh, <laughs> that we can actually converse. But it's uh, been great to, great to talk with you again. Great to, be, uh, to listen to you over the years. Well, thank you for saying that. Uh, I, I was excited as I opened your book and, and learned of these 31 stories you shared that yours is one of them. <laughs> I, I did. Yes. No, I was uh, happy to do it a little shy doing it, but mm. it's in the back of the book. So everybody yeah. else comes first. I'm following the leaders eat last philosophy. <laughs> well, I have to have to admit that it was one of my favorites and it was cer- certainly worth the wait in getting to it. I learned a lot of things about you that, that I did not know and just couldn't help but read of your story and your experiences and, and smile at some of these events. Some of them I got a chuckle out of, you know, and, and others were like almost like, wow, did that really happen? And just to just to hear of your, your basketball journey through college and how that's impacted how you approach uh, your work and life, as has been the case for all these walk-ons we're going to talk about, was just pretty fascinating. So thank you for including yourself in the book. I appreciate that. 
you're, you're very welcome. And that's how my interviews actually went with a lot of these walk-ons mm. where I didn't know what I was going to get. And, you know, partway through the interview at some point, I was like, is that story really true? <laughs> like, I can't believe that somebody went through that, but then did the the fact checking and it was. So yeah, I'm mm. glad you, glad you enjoyed my story. <laughs> and like I said, the, the 30 other ones, uh, you know, really good journey, really interesting. Some, mm. Met some amazing, inspiring people yeah. on the publishing journey for sure. Well, uh, let's jump from that to your belief that walk-on athletes, I think in part because of the, the fighting and scrambling they go through just to even make a team, are honing skills that are going to serve them throughout their careers. Sure. And I guess before I dive specifically into that, I've bumped into some folks, especially those outside the U.S. who don't understand exactly what a walk-on is. Right. So it's somebody who uh, doesn't have an athletic scholarship, but they want to play for a college sports team where essentially everybody else on the team uh, does have an athletic scholarship. And mm. so what these folks realized was, you know, walking on was their initial dream and also their obstacle at the same time. And really the lessons that they learned by pursuing that dream and encountering those obstacles, they've applied, you know, for years to come. I had kind of a rule where I wasn't going to talk to anybody who was less than five years out of school because I mm. wanted to see did their experience actually gain traction in the professional world. But, you know, you mentioned scrambling to make the team. There's also scrambling to stay on the team <laughs> right. right? while you're getting no playing time, maybe no uniform, or if you have a uniform, it doesn't fit, getting no respect, right? No attention, serving others and focusing on team goals, right? Like right. a lot of those things, the uniforms don't apply so much to your career, but, you know, focusing on those team goals, those folks really applied it and they found out that they were really wildly uh, successful. And so that that really, you know, what they learned in college, what they applied in their first job, their second job is kind of the gist of the book of mm. ordinary people will accomplish extraordinary feats when their energy is properly channeled, whether that's on a basketball court, on a football field, whether it's in an office, whether it's being a doctor, that, that's really kind of the gist of the book. Now, talk a bit about the the genesis of this, this method, this walk-on method. I, I teased your story uh, a little bit, but I think it was important to you that you go beyond just your own experiences. How, how, did, how, did, this, how did this come to you, though? What was, the, what was the start of it all? Yeah, so it ties in with my first book, so called Hire Like You Just Beat Cancer, where I talk about hiring best practices, but then also share I'm a cancer surviving executive. And so it's now it's 19 years that I've uh, been cancer free. And so that book was really for a lot of times people I worked with, um, other executives started to learn that I was a cancer survivor because it's not exactly the topic one weaves into a conference call, right? And so it was kind of them learning about it. And I can specifically remember an executive friend saying to me, oh, now that I know you've had cancer, I understand why you're so driven and why you do everything with a purpose. And I was gracious. I didn't say you're wrong, but I was like, I don't wake up every day thinking about myself as like a cancer survivor and overcoming that. And so I started to say like, what really drives me? And I realized I attack cancer and my professional career the same way that I approached my role walking on to the Gannon University basketball team, a small college powerhouse in, uh, in Erie, Pennsylvania. So when I was 23, I launched my own sports magazine. In my 30s, I've worked my way to become a company president for a multi-million dollar company. And then since then, I've carved out a niche as a business coach and speaker. So when I realized that the pattern that I established as a walk-on through all those things that, that, that we talked about, I'm sure we're going to dive into more, I realized it, that was like not just the secret to my professional success, it's a blueprint for anyone's professional success. But, you know, I'm glad that you enjoyed my story, but 
I, I thought I couldn't write a book only on my story, right? No one's mm-hmm. going to say like, oh, Jim Roddy, bench warmer at Gannon. Like, I really <laughs> want to read 250 pages about him, right? Like, no one's going to say, please tell me more about that game against Queens College, you know, that you played. And so I didn't think my story alone would motivate anybody. So mm-hmm. I'm like, well, what if I talk to five, 10 walk-ons, what I learn? And like I said, those first 10 to 15, uh, first five to 10 interviews were spectacular. And mm-hmm. so next thing you know, I've got 30 interviews under my belt and got them transcribed and they all have very interesting paths, whether what sport they played in, whether the career, whether it was business owner, engineer, coach, lawyer, but the mindset, the skills and behaviors they developed, Mm. you know, in college, they really applied and then they continued to uh, experience success in a professional standpoint. And they saw that others can learn from that formula as well. So even if you're not a sports person, this book really speaks to what steps can you take to maximize career and business success? Yeah. And let's, let's, let's unpack some of those if we can. The framework begins, the method begins. Step one is something you call take a big shot. So, so what does that look like in, in, in the real world? Yeah, so that was common among uh, the folks who we talked with is, and the lesson kind of that comes out of this is don't sell yourself short when you're trying to set your next career related goal. Don't Mm -hmm. contemplate and say, here's what I really want, and then go, well, I'm going to aim for something less because that's (laughs) safer, right? Anybody can do that. And so instead, you got to take a big shot. And just a a quick example of that in the book is Colleen Healy. She actually got a Division II scholarship, was getting a lot of playing time her freshman year, but she said, I wonder if I could walk on at UConn. In fact, I don't want to be 30 years old and looking back and saying, could I have done that? Mm. So she ended up becoming a manager for UConn, ended up walking on, having a great uh, career there. And then she applied that to her professional career. She was in Connecticut. She said, I wonder if I can make it big outside of Connecticut and work for two multi-billion dollar companies soaring to the top of their sales team. And then she said, I bet I can even take a bigger shot than this and left that in a medical field to become a consultant and then co-found a leadership organization Mm. where she speaks all throughout. So again, she took a big shot when she was 18, maybe didn't know any better, Mm. but now she knows better and she knows that she should continue to take a big shot. You know, I so identify with that. And, and so many of the people that I who I run around with, uh, you might say, I, I think have have done that uh, in my case, you know, leaving a regular job, much as you have done recently to venture out on your own. I used to have that mindset of, you know, I've, I've got to work for somebody else. Uh, you know, I need a steady paycheck and that security. But I had that taken away from me enough times to realize, well, how secure is that really? <laughs> when one one person's decision can make that disappear. So maybe I need to strike that on my own. It took some time to instill that confidence, I guess. What, what does it mean to make a passion statement then? That's uh, step two of the method. Yeah. And just to clarify, it's P, passion, not F, fashion, right? I am not the person to be speaking to anybody about fashion statements uh, by, by any means. Um, and so the kind of the elements about making a passion statement are it's prepare with passion, practice with passion, and then play with passion. So those are kind of sports terms. And from a career standpoint, too many people wish that their dream is going to come true. And they think, boy, if that moment ever presents itself, I'm going to go all out. But you can't Mm. wish or you can't wait. Like Mm. we recommend that you walk on to your dream. So again, Mm. you see these walk-ons and they're like, they're playing so hard. They're diving on the floor. They really play with passion. What people don't see is all the preparation they put into it, all the extra practice they put into it just to get that opportunity. And Mm. again, I'm always happy to share not just the principle, but the real life example. So Sean Bedford was a walk-on at Georgia Tech and he wasn't particularly talented, right? He got into Georgia Tech on a president's scholarship, Mm -hmm. right? It was something that he did uh, out 
outside of the weight room and, and the football field. But he, he saw, if I really want to make it, I've got to put an extra time in the weight room, the practice field, and then also in the film room. Now, he was on the scout team, so that means he wasn't even playing in the games, but he was scouting the other team so he could really excel in practice and give the offense the best look from a defensive standpoint. Mm. So long story short, he ends up going from a walk-on into a starting position, becomes all-conference to, for two very good Georgia Tech teams. And then you think, well, this story ends there. That's kind of how the Rudy story ends, right? Like, yeah. and then he finally got to play in a game and then it's all over. <laughs> but Sean took that same approach about leave no stone unturned. And he said, I want to go to law school. And guess what happened? He got waitlisted for Walt Law School. They're like, we don't know if we really want you here. Mm. But once he did get into that school, he had the same approach and said, if I outwork everybody here, people who are smarter than me, mm. I'm going to make sure that I do well, graduated top 10% of his law class. And he's now a successful patent attorney and still has that same, I'm going to leave no stone unturned approach to every single case that he examined. So again, he had a dream that he wanted, but he did all that groundwork, the preparation and the practice to get his dream. Speaking of that, that graduation, top 10%, I think if memory serves, you graduated third in your class, but you were not in the top 10%. Is that right? <laughs> that is correct. That's how I describe how small um, my school was. My small high school was Bethel Christian. Um, and, you know, we actually had one game my sophomore year to have enough guys on the floor. We had a seventh grader that we pulled up from the middle schools, a K through 12. So it was not the highest level yeah. uh, of competition. And my, my other joke is uh, the only scouts who attended our game sold Girl Scout cookies door to door. So. <laughs> Love it. Well, uh, step three, uh, as we go through these, uh, is something Jim calls running uphill. Now, that doesn't sound like something that that, that I necessarily want to make a habit of, Jim. So what, what's, what's that all about? Right. And that's exactly right. We are taught to avoid obstacles and seek the path of least resistance, yeah. right? When you get an obstacle, you're like, your initial inclination is to shrink or close your eyes, or people will say, you know, maybe you should try to avoid that and look for something easier. So the root of this goes all the way back to, I ran road races and cross country when I was much, much younger. And when people would get to a hill, they would slow down and trudge up the hill, right? That's mm. kind of the, the phrase for it. Well, I don't know why I ever got this idea, but I was like, what if I sprint up the hill? What if I see this as an opportunity? And if you're running a road race and you pass somebody, that's one thing. When you pass them mm. on a hill, they're looking at you like, this dude is a psycho. Like what in the world? Like it was just this mental advantage. And so that's kind of the visual that I have. And that's what we saw is walk-ons don't avoid obstacles. They lean into the difficulties of their situation and they actually embrace mm. those obstacles because they know on the other end of the experience, they're going to be battle tested. Mm. So we say running uphill, it takes longer, but it makes you stronger. So when you encounter a career challenge, you see everyone around you, like wishing the moment will pass show courage, mm. jump headlong into the problem. And I can say we've had this experience with, like I can say my professional career, the, the great recession of 08, 09, mm. and then COVID, right? Mm. There are examples of, do you get better during that or do you just curl up? And so that's mm. what we saw. I've been in touch with these walk-ons since the book was published. Um, and they all have embraced opportunities throughout their professional career. It's kind of like a situation of, of picking your pain, right? I think John Maxwell talks about this in a devotional of his that I read every day called Leadership Promises. And he talks about the pain that comes with sacrifice and hard work and growth. But when you bypass those things for comfort, you have another pain you experience later called regret, right? <laughs> There's going to be pain either way, but you can have the pain that comes with sacrifice and growth, or you can have the pain of regret. Yeah. If you have that easy path, you're never going to quite learn the lesson, right? You're mm -hmm. not going to be able to handle adversity. And that's one of the things like these walk-ons had to take a big shot and deal with adversity as 
teenagers, right? Mm -hmm. And they had a choice to be like, I'm just going to sleep in or party or something like that. But they went out of their way to do that. And it really steeled their resolve, built up mm -hmm. their skills for, for the work world. So what is, uh, and I hope I'm getting this right and not mixing up my words here, but uh, I think it's no fuss, all must. Is that, am I saying that right? That is correct. Yeah, so that's that's step number four. So no fuss means control your emotions, especially the negative ones as you're mm -hmm. seeking to advance your career. But if you get passed over for a promotion that you thought you deserved, you can shake your head for a moment in private, but then you should resolve to work harder perform better, right? Don't be pointing fingers and, and blaming other people. Or if you're ticked that your pay raise was lower than you hope, sometimes people are like, man, eh, just coast, right? Or <laughs> complain to your coworkers. Instead, start working overtime to improve your skills. So that's the no fuss in terms of we all have emotions. You've got to control those emotions. But all must, that's capital M, capital U, capital S. It's an acronym for maximize unique strength. So <laughs> most of the walk-ons that we profiled in the book were shorter, skinnier, weaker, slower mm. than their more gifted scholarship athletes. I was three out of those four. I only had speed. I didn't have anything, you didn't have anything else. <laughs> and I think I had the speed just because I was skinny, right? And get right. a little bit of a yeah. breeze behind me. But what these walk-ons did was they figured out instead of wallowing in terms of, boy, I have all these shortcomings. I probably mm. shouldn't do this or here's why I can't do it. They figured out what their special ability or attitude was. And they brought that to the team and maximized that to benefit the whole. And just a quick, great example of this mm. is Brandon Landry. And so uh, folks might know him because he's now the co-founder, co-owner and CEO of Walk On Sports Bistro, which is a fast growing mm. uh, restaurant chain in the Southeast, but they're going nationwide. Drew Brees, New Orleans uh, former quarterback and sure to be Hall of Famer is, is a part owner. So here's Brandon. In high school, he got cut from his basketball team. And instead of saying, I guess hoops isn't for me, he said, I got to work harder. And he didn't cry about it. <laughs> then he wanted to walk on at the LSU team. He mm. got cut and he said, I got to work harder. I got to play more. I got to get stronger. Well, then he gets a call back that they wanted him as a practice player. And he's like, great. Well, he goes to practice and he gets manhandled, right? Because mm. all these guys are so much bigger and stronger. He didn't cry or quit. He said, I got to get better. I got to get stronger, mm. and then really put in a lot of time in the off season, had a, a four-year uh, walk-on career there. And then how does he translate that to the business world? All sorts of people told him, you might, like you want to start a fancy restaurant or a strong restaurant here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So he had all sorts of banks tell him, no, no, mm. no. But he had learned that relentlessness <laughs> and to come back what he came for. And you know, he got turned down by the first six banks. And I said, what if the seventh would have turned you down? He's like, you go find an eighth, right? So that's a different <laughs> attitude than just mm. crying about it or, or quitting in frustration. Wow. Yeah. And that brings us to the last step, uh, the title of which I love, make them throw you out of the gym. <laughs> Share that one if you would. Yeah. I thought this was like the most intuitive of all the steps, but it's make them throw you out of the gym. Uh, Somebody said like, what do you mean? Like throw the water bottle at the coach and make them throw you out of the gym? Like, <laughs> I don't understand that. I'm like, no, it means don't quit on yourself. Too many times what happens is folks come up with this entire uh system in terms of, well, here's why I shouldn't achieve that dream. Here's why I shouldn't go for it. Here are all the risks. Here are all the downsides to it. So I'm not going to do it. So they are throwing themselves out of the gym. You've got to make sure that you keep going after your dream. And even if you get thrown out, you keep going back mm. uh, for more. And I can tell you my own personal experience. So again, I put in all the extra work. So I didn't just practice with the basketball team. I would also play against other, you know, from general students at the Gannon Rec Center. I came across a lot of folks who are a lot better basketball players than me. Mm. And they would talk about, well, here's why I'm not playing on the team. Because time, because this, because that, because that. And I'm thinking, you just got to want to, right? You just don't <laughs> want it enough. Yeah. So, you know, in the book, we tell people never, ever, 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 
quit, like mm. keep pressing. That's really something we saw from all these walk-ons. They thought about quitting because things were so hard, but they never did. They always found some sorts of encouragement, either internal mm. or external to keep going. I love that you have recognized how not only yourself, but many of these people have taken those lessons. You, you've analyzed, well, what really drives me? What what are the aspects of this approach and and built this framework? Uh, it's something that so many of us can can make use of. Share one of your favorite examples of the sort of the framework in practice uh, from the book. I know it's probably, you know, with 30 people interviewed, it may be asking you to like, you know, pick your favorite kid or something. But <laughs> if you could if you could pick one and, and share about how that that one is a great example of applying the the method, what would it be? Uh, will do. And to me, th there's a few lessons in, in this story, but part of it is I don't want people to think like, oh, you have to have this lifelong dream that you go after. Mm. Sometimes this can happen accidentally and you find a new passion and something uh, to go after. So the example I want to share is Bernie Floriani. So he went to the University of Virginia on a partial golf scholarship, but his golf game was going sideways, like literally going sideways. He was really struggling with it. But he always loved basketball. And then he found out the University of Virginia back then, this would have been in the uh, late 80s, early 90s, had a junior varsity team. And he was like, well, this will just be fun. And so it <laughs> turns out that the UVA you know, scholarship team needed a backup point guard to go against John. John Crotty, who ended up playing in the NBA for years. So they asked Bernie, do you want to do this? And he was like, oh my gosh, that'd be awesome. Like I get to play in the ACC and they're like, well, you get to practice. You won't have your name on your uniform, right? <laughs> you might not even be in the same locker room. All right. But long story short, you know, he just like, he fell in love with that. Mm. And so uh, he has a great story on senior day. You know, typically a lot of colleges will start uh, for basketball teams, will start all their seniors and they get to play the first minute or two uh, on, on senior day. Mm. I didn't get that opportunity. I'm still bitter about it, but that's for another, <laughs> uh, another story. So Bernie's told, hey, this is a big game. You're not going to be able to start. And he's really disappointed. Well, in the locker room before the game, they're going over the matchups. His name's up on the board and he's like, oh my gosh. Like, and he gets his surge of energy. Like, this is going to be so cool. And so what actually happens in that game is he gets a ball on the right wing and just in stride knocks down a jump shot. And he's like so excited. The crowd's going crazy, gets taken out of the game. He goes to the end of the bench and he's just bawling on the end of the bench in tears. And the coach says, like, why are you crying? He's like, it was just the best thing ever. Like, this is so amazing. This happened to me. So what happened to Bernie after uh, graduation? So he went, decided to start his own business in Gurney, Illinois, became Bernie from Gurney, running his uh, insurance agency. Mm. And so through all the trials of business ownership, he smiled all the way, right? And he found time to coach not just his kids, but other kids to do that, right? And so even, you know, no matter what he came across, he made sure he handled it with grace. And so an interesting story with him is a lot of these walk-ons, I would reach out to them like three or four times, people who I researched. And if they got back to me, great. If not, I'd move on to someone else. For some reason, I just felt possessed to reach out to Bernie. And I reached out to him like 10 times, email, filled out forms, <laughs> stuff like that. He finally emailed me back and set up a call and he's on speakerphone and his mother's on the call as well. Mm. And he's like my age. And he's like, you know, uh, it was, he was late forties uh, at the time. And I'm thinking, this is really odd, like to be in your forties and have your mother on the call. So we have the whole interview. <laughs> he has all sorts of great stories. Then at the end, he says, just, you know, I'm just starting to tell people this, but I have ALS and I'm losing my ability to do anything oh, wow. beyond speaking. And he started talking about how ALS was actually a blessing for him mm. of how people, you know, have come and, you know, the, the community he was able to build. I stayed in touch with him uh, uh, over the years. And, you know, he told me I was an underdog as a walk on. I was an underdog starting my business. I'm an underdog, but I'm going to keep fighting as long as I can. People think I only have months to live. I'm going to make this years 
to live. Mm, and wow. so he, he, he did, and he traveled and he called out to people. He was what we call in the book, an energy elevator. And I mean, mm. sadly, he passed away right before the book came out, but he did get to read his chapter. You know, I made sure I, I sent that to him in right. advance, but I got to see his legacy beyond you know, just his working and his professional career and all mm. the people that he's impacted and people who've reached out to me and all the lives that he touched. So, you know, to me, these things that we're talking about aren't just so you can make more money. They're making other people better. They're making your mm. life better. And Bernie's just a great example of somebody mm. who went through all sorts of adversity, like the toughest adversity you can imagine and kept lifting up people around him. And again, I, th I think everybody can do that as well. Because if Bernie can do it going through that, we can do it going through whatever trials we're facing. And I'm sure his family appreciates you immortalizing him in your book. Uh, I know that's uh, something that they'll always cherish. Well, you mentioned uh, business coaching earlier. Is it safe to assume you're teaching this framework as a part of that? And if so, what does that look like exactly? I do. So one format is from a keynote perspective, mm -hmm. though, launching a book and uh, breaking in from a keynote standpoint in yeah. 2020 during the pandemic uh, wasn't the, the best time <laughs> in the world. But I've been doing a lot of interactive workshops, and I find those to be a ton of fun and really enjoyable because we dive into the five steps. Plus, I have a list of what we call walk on workplace do's and don'ts. And so everybody who attends those workshops, they get a copy of the book. They also get a, what we call a walk on workplace action plan to track their progress, right? Because mm -hmm. this isn't one call business. This isn't like, I'm going to have this mindset or do these things and bang, I'm going to hit the lottery. So we help set them up on a year long program. And this has really resonated with leaders because they show it as a very accessible tool to teach their younger employees. And for younger employees are like, well, this is a great roadmap uh, mm. for me. So um, yeah, the walk on method workshops have been a big hit, very well received. And, and I enjoy the heck out of doing them as well. I'll bet. That sounds like a lot of fun. Well, whether it's from those or folks who have been early readers of the book, I know the book's been out about six or seven months now. But what are you hearing back? Uh, how are folks benefiting from the book? What are you, what are you seeing firsthand or hearing firsthand? I, the most interesting feedback is hearing from parents who say, this is great. I got to get my kid to read this, right? Because <laughs> this is the real world stuff. Like they're waiting for somebody to bestow some honor or some mm. job or some money on them. Or like, this is the whole path of going to get it and really grinding it out. Uh, the other thing is that people say how accessible it is, right? Because mm. it's not some, you know, as we've been talking about it, we talked to a whole bunch of folks that I think all those names that I mentioned, no one's probably going like, oh yeah, I knew, uh, you know, Colleen Healy. Oh sure, I remember her. Like mm. these are a bunch of people who really flew below the radar. And I think that's why people find it accessible. It's something that they look at and they go, well, I could do every mm. one of those walk on method steps. And it's an easy way to communicate. It's not, it's not hard to wrap your brain around, right. but it's really hard to do the daily and the common, but there's some inspiration there as well. Hmm. I want to shift gears here a bit, Jim. Give us a bit of insight into your history with uh, reading. I know you're a voracious reader like me and the impact that the books have had on your life. How has the habit of being an intentional, consistent reader specifically, would you say, has played a role in the success that you've had? Yeah, I can say I wasn't always a voracious reader. Mm. I remember one of the first conferences I went to as an executive was in Jamaica, which was wonderful. <laughs> and I met somebody who'd been a president there. His name's Mark Olson. He'd been president of a company for 20 years. And I'm like, hey, what are the keys uh, to success? And mm. he said the number one thing for him was reading. And mm. I was like, Ugh, I was kind of hoping for a shortcut, <laughs> right? And I had kind of sworn off reading books. Like mm. since college, I can, I can really remember at Gann University, leaving my final class in the Zern building and being like, I never have to read another stupid book 
again. Like, who? it was like a freeing feeling. But now I'm at the point where, mm. you know, I, I now publish a, book, a list every year called Roddy's Recommended Reading. It now has over 170 books on it. I've realized that so, the solutions to most problems, mm. the principles that lead to success are all available to you for like 20 bucks each, mm. right? And so all those answers are there if you want to go get it. So to me, there's kind of a meta lesson in there in terms of initiative is the first step to success. You cannot mm. wait for something to come to you. And all those books are out there. All you need to do is research and you know enter your credit card number and it can uh, show up and then you take the time to read them. But that has really, really helped me to stay centered instead of just, well, here's what I think I should do. You're able to turn to these books and find out what are the time-tested best practices. Those have uh, you know, really helped me embrace critical thinking and be a big part of critical thinking, that it's not just my mm. opinion. It's based in, uh, it has deeper roots than that. Well, you've listened to the show, you said, so you know that when I left college, my attitude was very much the same because you, you probably heard me share that. You know, thank goodness I don't have to learn anymore, right? But uh, 10 years later, I kind of came around to the power of intentional and consistent reading. Well, I want to have you recommend some books. I didn't prepare you for this specifically. I know you knew this question was coming, but I want to challenge you and this is the part you didn't know was coming, to share books you didn't share about last time. So let me remind you of what that list included. <laughs> okay. All right. You may have to adjust what you were going to share. I don't know. Uh, Mother Teresa, The Essential Wisdom was a book you shared last time. Yes. Uh, the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. And Decisive, I know you're a big Chip and Dan Heath fan, oh, man. Uh, How to Make Better Choices in Life and Work. Were any of those books you came prepared to share about today? <laughs> I, no, but but I feel like I need to say like Mother Teresa is still on my list, right? Because you yeah. don't want to say like no Mother Teresa, she's in you know don't don't follow her anymore. Um, I have had the honor now of doing. I did some webinars uh, mm. with Michael Gerber, which was a heck of mm. a lot of fun. And I can say uh, in front of the camera and uh, on stage, he's the exact same way uh, off stage as well. And I actually got to meet Chip Heath uh, when mm. he spoke at a conference and collaborate him on some things. So um, I didn't have them on my list. The two that I wanted to share with you, because I know you're big about speaking and you teach mm -hmm. folks about, you know, the best way for professional speaking. Um, and so one book I recommend is called Do You Talk Funny? Mm -hmm. by David Nihill. And he goes through how do stand-up comedians keep our attention for an hour and a half, right? You don't want it to end. Mm -hmm. but most speakers, like 10 minutes in, you're like, when is this thing going to be <laughs> over? So it's like, how can you integrate those concepts, those principles into your presentations. And I think I, so every time I read a book, I underline passages, I transcribe it. And so I have notes. And so I've shared those notes. I shared those lessons so I can revisit the books often, but also share with people. I've shared, do you talk funny with tons of people? Not because I think they're boring speakers, but you know, they want to improve <laughs> from a, from a speaking standpoint. Right. And the other book is tying in with a former guest of yours, uh, Liz Wiseman. Mm -hmm. Multipliers is just to me, you know, if you're a manager and you're looking for all the best practices of what you can do as a manager, that book bundles a heck of a lot of it together. And the biggest learning for me was the proof of your success isn't really your balance sheet or your income statement or even long tenured employees. It's the success of the people that you've worked with, either inside your own organization or to go outside. I always thought when somebody left, it was like a big failure from a leader standpoint. But over the years, I've really learned, boy, it's great to have somebody go out and pursue their own dream, right? Take their own big shot. If you help them in any way in order to do that, or quite frankly, you didn't ruin them, right? So they could go <laughs> do that. And that's really what Multipliers is all about. So do you talk funny and Multipliers are the two uh, that I'll uh, share with you and your listeners today. I'm ashamed to admit this, but while you were sharing that, I ordered, do you talk funny from Amazon? <laughs> <laughs> 
hey, hey, on this podcast of all, Jeff, you shouldn't be ashamed ordering any book whatsoever. I heard every word you said, but I also ordered a book <laughs> while you were talking. <laughs> well, what's what's ahead for you, Jim? What's ahead for you and your team that uh, has got you excited? Uh, anything you can share about that's uh, around the corner? Well, if you haven't uh, picked up on it so far, I'm super passionate about spreading the walk on message, yeah, not just yeah. because like I'm trying to sell more books or, or you know, uh, things like that. Of course, I would like to sell more books, but I really want to get the message out because I do see this as the blueprint for professional success. So I'm doing everything that I can uh, to spread the walk on message. Those workshops are a big part of it because the keys to success and teaching people that the keys to success are inside them. Right, that their career, their career trajectory is within mm. their control, and it's really gratifying to see people discover that and really start to implement it and be able to to keep track as as things go on. So that's really what I'm focused on now is spreading the walk on message far and wide and uh, anywhere that I can. And the website Jim Roddy R O D D Y. Uh, cba.com, correct? Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. ABC backwards. So stands for coach and business advisor. And you can also buy the book uh, on Amazon as well. But if any of your listeners want to uh, reach out to me, it's Jim at jimrodicba.com. I'm happy to share with them the uh, free chapter from the book and also the list of walk on workplace do's and don'ts. Uh, a friend of yours is a friend of mine. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you for uh, that generosity. And I feel like I need to say, uh, go back to something I, I mentioned a moment ago. The only reason I didn't order Liz's book uh, that you mentioned is because I already have it. <laughs> just want, so <laughs> yes. I put that out there. I already have Liz's book. I just ordered the other one. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Jim's book again is called The Walk-On Method, 31 Underdogs Who Became Extraordinary. I highly recommend it. I think uh, you'll enjoy it. And I think people in your life will enjoy it. If you've got high schooler or college age person uh, you know of, or uh, maybe a son or daughter or a, a niece or nephew like me, they could benefit a lot from this book as well. Jim, thank you so much for coming on the Read to Lead podcast. Again, it's been too long. Yes, I'll, I'll write my next book faster so we can uh, we can reconnect again. But no, pleasure talking with you again, Jeff. Keep up the great work. To recap, the five-step walk-on method framework is this. Step one, take a big shot. After all, anybody can make a layup, right? Step two, make a passion statement. Prepare with passion, practice with passion, and play with passion. Step three, run uphill. Takes longer, makes you stronger. Step four, no fuss, all must. Must, remember, stands for maximize unique strengths. Step five, make them throw you out of the gym. Never, ever, 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 ever quit. (laughs) And remember, all five steps are within your power. For more on my conversation with Jim, to connect with him online, or to order his book, go to my website to the page created just for this episode. That's at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 371 for episode 371. And while we're on the theme of fives, let me remind you that my new ebook is available to you right now for free called Dream Big, the five personal habits that will supercharge your life. You get it for free when you sign up for my email list. You can do that at my website via the form at the top right of the page. It's readtoleadpodcast.com. Next week on the show, I'm excited to welcome first-time guest John Stange. His new book, which comes out next week, is called Dwell on These Things, a 31-day challenge to talk to yourself like God talks to you. Again, that's next time on the Read to Lead podcast. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Oh, 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 oh,